Before I go any further, I want to say that I care about the Christian church. I care for the Christian church. I care about all religions, all faiths, and all spiritualities. And I care for people of all faiths, all religions, and all spiritualities. So I do not have an us versus them mentality towards religion, faith, and spirituality. And I do not have an us versus them mentality towards people of all religions, all faiths, and all spiritualities. They are always welcome to be a part of my personal life and my professional life. And I always need to say that so people can understand the kind of heart I have. Let's get to it. But before, I, but before that, I must say that I talk about issues in religion because I have a high respect for uh, those of piousness. All right. This is madamnor.com. I'm tired of this church. How to recognize toxic church culture. September 11, 2019 by Jasmine Denise. Churches are where broken people go to find refuge, restoration, and healing. Sadly, some churches are hurting much more than they're helping due to the sheer toxicity and dysfunction that has been allowed to fester for years. If you're going to church week after week and leaving feeling more weight down than you did before you walked through the door, it may be that the level of toxicity within your church's culture has become so great. The messiness is clouding the message. Continue reading for the tale tale signs of a toxic church culture. I absolutely will start reading. Offering shaming. Churches need money to operate. All of the love and well wishes in the world are not enough to keep the lights on or the building heated. Many churches are only able to keep their doors open through the generosity of its members. We, we get it. However, there's something particularly troubling about churches that resort to offering shaming in order to meet their, mar- in order to meet their marks. In mild cases, this looks like $10, $20, and $50 lines. In more severe cases, this looks like church leaders calling sp- specific people out from the pulpit and non-tithing lists is being posted publicly. The praise and worship team or any other ministry operates as a mean girl clique. Having the ability to lead a congregation into worship is a beautiful gift, which is why it's very unfortunate when people abuse this role. When worship leaders choose to single out and isolate members of the team, make faces behind their backs when they sing and remove people from the ministry based on personal grievances, it's suggestive of a more pervasive cultural issue within the church. The musicians and ministers are sleeping with several women in the congregation. When musicians, ministers, or any other person in leadership are free to sleep around with members and cause confusion within the church without consequence, it's a guaranteed indicator of toxic church culture. Hateful rhetoric is taught from the pulpit. I can't think of one scripture where we're encouraged to hate anyone. Membership is based on giving. After moving to a new city, 
I expressed interest in joining a local church. I was told that someone would follow up with me. Months went by and I never heard from anyone, so I eventually found another church to attend. Almost a year later, I received a threatening letter stating that I would be removed from the previous church's roster due to unpaid tithes. Not only did they fail to follow up with me, but they were also threatening to cancel my non-existent membership over money. Toxic. You're encouraged to neglect your family. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being a devoted member of a ministry. But when your devotion is causing you to neglect your family, especially your children, that's highly problematic. One of the most stomach-churning things to witness is when parents are pouring all of their time and resources into the church or church-related work while investing nothing into their children. It's often said that if you take care of God's business, God will take care of yours. But that doesn't exempt you from checking that child's homework, combing their hair, making sure they have clean clothes to wear, and meaning any other physical and emotional needs that they may have. If anyone ever tries to tell you otherwise, it's a red flag. The ushers are meaner than any junkyard dog. Ushers are often the first point of contact when entering a church building, especially when you're a visitor. It never feels very welcoming when the first face that you see is wearing a scowl or barely says hello before they're barking sharp directives at you. We get it. Ushers are supposed to maintain order within the sanctuary, but doing so with a little love and kindness goes a long way. You never know what a person may be going through or how hard they fought to get to church. When ushers behave this way, it's reflective of larger issues within that church's culture. The pastors above fellowshipping with the congregation. Pastors give so much and leading a congregation is exhausting, so it's not surprising when ministers sometimes decide to skip out on the meet and greet after service. However, when a pastor is always being ushered away by their adjutants on some President Obama status and never makes an effort to mingle with their flock, it's a red flag for sure. The prophets and prayer warriors are too deep to speak to folks. It could be argued that when you have certain spiritual gifts, you have to take certain measures to guard yourself. However, it's always interesting when folks are so deep, they float around the sanctuary as if their brothers and sisters in Christ are unworthy of their acknowledgement unless they have a certain title or belong to a particular family. The chastity of young women is policed while the young men do as they please. When conversations, sermons, pamphlets, and workshops on being chaste and abstaining from sex are only directed at young women while the young men are free to run amok, you can be sure there's some toxicity brewing within that congregation. You're taught to go through others to get to God. If the preacher is teaching you to do anything other than getting to know God and reading the Bible for yourself, put on your track shoes and get out of Dodge. While God can definitely speak to us through others, that should not be the primary source of communication. Follow Jasmine on Twitter at Jasmine, G-A-Z-M-I-N-E, Denise, and visit her blog, Black Girl Mom. Again, that is Madam Noor, M-A-D-A-M-E-N-O-I-R-E dot com. All right, now we're going to... Five Ways Judgmental Christians Are Killing Your Church. By Carrie Newhoff, CarrieNewhoff.com. 
judged anyone lately? Sadly, the answer for most of us, including me, is yes. From the guy who cuts you off in traffic to the offbeat person who's not picking up the social cues you're sending to your weed-smoking neighbor, it's so easy to judge. And judgment just gets worse from there. It's the basis of racism, sexism, and almost every other ism you can think of. It's also fundamentally incompatible with authentic Christian faith. Jesus said Christians should be known for how deeply we love. Yet studies show that in the eyes of many non-Christians, we're known for how deeply we judge, not for how deeply we love. Jesus said Christians should be known for how deeply we love, not how deeply we judge. The problem in many cases is not that unchurched people don't know any Christians. The problem is is that they do, and they don't like us for a good reason. Christians will argue, well, who's going to stand up for truth? Understood. Yet, in Jesus, grace and truth are perfectly fused. Remove grace from the truth, and you don't actually have truth at all, but a cold, steely imitation. This is the shadow side of conservatism. The opposite is also true, of course. Remove truth from grace and you don't have grace but a spineless imitation. As you already figured out, this is the shadow side of liberalism. Fusing grace and truth is an exceptionally difficult venture and is easily only successful when you spend significant amounts of time on your knees and when the source of your attempt is actually Christ himself. I am rarely good at it, flipping from one side to the other too quickly. Now, some people don't see Jesus as male. Some people keep Jesus away from gender. And some people see Jesus as woman, as intersex, hermaphrodite, not to be offensive, but we have to be embracing of gender and sexual diversity and it's going to show up in how people relate to Christ figures and deities and supreme beings and messiahs. So I respect all of that. I am a pro-gender and sexual diversity person, meaning I think that It's worthy of celebration that we're all uniquely wonderful. That's what I mean. It's a human rights... uh, uh, It's a human rights uh, passion that I have is to respect and embrace us all for who we really are. And to be... um, kind and respectful about it but when you see grace and truth fused it takes your breath away why did people travel for days on foot in extreme conditions to meet jesus grace fused to truth is what our hearts most deeply long for but in the evangelical church today and i am an evangelical the heart edge of truth has crushed many and one of the most frequent expressions of loveless truth is found in judgment Judgmentalism is, in, is incompatible with at least five wonderful things. Keep judging. Your church will miss all five of these Christian virtues that can advance your church's mission. In the evangelical church today, the hard edge of truth has crushed many. Okay. Number one, love. The presence of judgment almost always guarantees an absence of love. Think about it through the lens of your marriage, a friendship, or even someone you work with. It is virtually impossible to love someone and judge someone at the same time. 
But wait, you ask, what if they're making a mistake and I need to correct them? First of all, look at your mistakes in the depth of your sin and deal with your issues first. In the process, you'll encounter a loving God who forgives you despite your rather egregious sin. And having been loved, you can love others. I try to remember this rule. If I'm judging someone, I'm not loving them. You can't judge someone and love them at the same time. You can't judge someone and love them at the same time. Um, Two, help. Ever notice that people who judge almost never help and people who help almost never judge? That's because judgment creates a line. The line is labeled better than or smarter than or more righteous than the person who needs help. Help knows no such line. It just knows how to help. When Jesus taught on judgment, not only did, I'll just say Jesus' name, I won't put any gender pronouns because you do have people who have different and diverse gender pronouns for deity, supreme beings, messiahs, and Christ figures. So I'll just say Jesus' name so everybody can be fully included, more importantly, fully belong. Let's take it from the top. When Jesus taught on judgment, not only did Jesus tell us not to judge and to remove the massive temper from our own eye before trying to find the speck of dust in someone else's eye first, but Jesus then showed us the purpose of removing the speck from someone else's eye. It's to help them. The Christian purpose of stepping into someone else's world is not to judge someone, but to help them. If you're not trying to help, don't bother. You'll probably only make it worse. And if you're trying to help, you'll likely notice something else has disappeared. Any sense of judgment once carried. People who judge almost never help. People who help almost never judge. Three, humility. Judgment is never grounded in humility. As in, oh my, I'm also a mess. Let's figure this out together. Judgment is grounded in arrogance. That's because a judgmental person almost always carries with them a sense of condescension. I never get into this kind of situation myself. You should be as good as I am or a sense of pity. Poor, stupid you. Judgment always says I'm better than you. I know more than you and I'm also superior to you. No wonder people run from it. Very few people get judged into life change. Many people get loved into it. Humility, by contrast, fosters empathy. It says I'm like you. I get that. Maybe we can help each other. Many people would run to that. Very few people get judged into life change. Many people get loved into it. Four, prayer. There's also a connection between judgment and prayer. Judging someone and praying for someone are pretty much mutually exclusive. You can't pray for someone you judge because you're actually not for them. Sure, you can pray about them, but again, your prayer won't be grounded in humility. It might be grounded in anger or in arrogance or superiority, but it won't be grounded in love. You never truly pray for someone you judge. Conversely, if you want to stop judging someone, pray for them. It's impossible to judge someone and truly pray for them at the same time. Again, it's impossible to judge someone and pray for them at the same time. Five, evangelism. If you want to kill evangelism at your church, fill your church with judgmental Christians. If you want to kill evangelism at your church, fill your church with judgmental Christians. People run from people who judge them. They run to people who love them. Think about it. That's what you do. You run from people who judge you. When grace and truth are fused, people usually run to it because the combination of truth and grace describes the reality they're facing and brings actual hope that things can get better. God never asks you to judge the world. God did ask you to love it. Judgment is a terrible evangelism strategy. Judgment is a terrible evangelism strategy. A giant hypocrite? But wait, you say, isn't this entire article just one big piece of judgment? You are a complete hypocrite, you say. 
First of all, you're totally right. You could completely read this as a judgmental invective. And I definitely write it as someone who is part of the problem. But when it comes to judgment, Paul makes it clear we are not, capital letters, to judge the world. But we are to practice discernment in the church. There's also a distinction, at least in my mind, between judgment and discernment. This is a very fine line. I don't stand on it well at all. This article could be a complete failure in what it sets out to accomplish. One of the things I struggle with within the church today is that we rush to judge outsiders and rarely look in the mirror. That's the exact opposite of what Paul, the Apostle Paul, instructed us to do. The reality is that people's lives are plagued by problems. There's an epic battle raging in this life and people get taken down every day over addictions, failed relationships, misguided beliefs, and things that we think will give life but in the end only destroy. We need to help outsiders because we have been helped. We need to help each other on the inside and thereby better realize our mission. True judgment is reserved for God. Discernment seeks to help. Discernment says there's a problem, but lovingly, humbly, prayerfully, empathetically, empathetically, that means empathy, I'd love to help with that. And guess what? The person on the receiving end of the help senses it. They know when they're being judged and they know when they're being loved and helped. That's what I hope to do, and that's what I hope in the end this article does, because I, too, am a judge who is seeking to become a loving helper. And if this article still strikes you as harsh, remember that Jesus' harshest words were reserved for arrogant, judgmental leaders inside the faith. At times, we've likely all been that insider. I have been anyway. Conversely, Jesus was pretty much never harsh to people outside the faith. We'd be so much better as a church if we did the same. Preaching controversial issues without dividing the church. Adapted with permission by Adam Hamilton. This is resourceumc.org. Controversial issues need God's light, not Hollywood or political spin. Unfortunately, many church leaders refrain from tackling complex moral issues because they have the potential to divide the congregation. However, if we are called to be fearless disciples, however, we are called to be fearless disciples. Many visitors, and especially younger generations, are looking for acceptance, not a one-minded mentality that is blind to important issues. Let us shine a light on all of God's creation, even if it makes a few people squirm. With God's wisdom and guidance, controversial teachings can actually draw people into your church. For this to happen, you must teach both sides, dialogue with others, and let people reach their own conclusions. Encourage them to use scripture, tradition, reason, and experience when making ethical conclusions. People will be much more interested in hearing what you have to say if this is your approach. Here are a few more detailed pointers. Remember that Christians can be on all sides of the issue. Do not assume that too many people in your congregation hold the same view. An issue is controversial precisely because there are all types of thinking. Reasonable committed Christians can make a case for every side of any issue. Be as informed as possible about all sides of the issue. Seek the best information on each side. It may be difficult, but try to research the most unbiased and objective information. Talk to the most passionate proponents of various, of various positions. The internet is an invaluable tool for finding such proponents of various, okay. Talk to the most passionate proponents of various positions. Okay, I wanted to make sure I read that correctly. Let me read this. The internet is an invaluable tool for finding such proponents. 
on the most controversial issues aim to be among the best informed persons in your congregation. These sermons require more preparation time than do ordinary sermons. It is likely that you will devote 20 hours or more to reading and interviewing experts on the subject before beginning to write your message. Understand why people are on different sides of the controversy. This will help you formulate your own views more clearly and will play a key role in earning the congregation's trust. It may be a good idea to start with a position that is least like your own. Present it as pervasively as possible, then follow with the position closer to your own and strive to present it just as per- persuasively. Let me read that again now that I've got the word correctly. Present it as persuasively as possible. Then follow with the position closer to your own and strive to present it just as persuasively. Members who disagree with your conclusion will thank you for presenting their position in a stronger way than they could have articulated it. Build this type of respect with your congregation and they will learn that it's okay to disagree with each other. They will feel more comfortable attending and inviting the community into worship. Be open to the idea that your conclusions may be faulty. Be open to the possibility that God will move you to a different place. In study, prayer, and reflection, be open to the possibility of changing your mind. As you are willing to consider such a move, so will your congregation be willing to reconsider their own views. When I preached on the death penalty several years ago, my views actually changed as a result of my study. My preconceived ideas on several controversial issues gave way to new conclusions as a result of my study on these topics. When a pastor can stand in the pulpit and say, I really struggled this week studying this issue, I began my study with one opinion and partway through, as a result of my reading, prayer, and reflection, my views changed. The congregation will be all ears to hear what the pastor has to say. Demonstrate humility, respect, kindness, and love. This is especially relevant when you are revealing your conclusions. You may say something like, having wrestled with both sides of this issue, I would like to share my conclusions. I am not suggesting that mine is the only position a Christian could hold, nor do I feel any less love for those who disagree. Please know that you are welcome to disagree. But as I have reflected on this issue in the light of scripture, tradition, experience, and reason, God has led me to conclude that provide a setting for people to ask questions and challenge their views presented in the sermon. Following worship, offer a session for participants to ask questions and express their frustration or disagreement. Such venues can facilitate greater understanding and allow people to have an outlet to state their views. Our faith is meant to inform and shape how we approach complex moral issues. It is the role of pastors to teach and model for their congregants how to think theologically about these issues and how to do so with respect, humility, and love. Controversial concerns can be addressed in a variety of venues. When approaching them through preaching, a pastor can increase the likelihood of positively influencing congregants and creating healthy, mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Adapted from preaching controversial issues in ministry matters and originally from the New Interpreter's Handbook of Preaching, copyright 2008 and Bingden Press. Okay, top five controversial decisions made by the church. Last year was an interesting year for the church in terms of controversial decisions being made and scandals arising. Andrew Hamilton Thomas takes us through the top five and offers some advice on how we can respond. The problem with controversies and scandals within the church is that it undermines the gospel that we are trying to preach because we don't appear to be singing from the same hymn sheet, no pun intended. It gives skeptics more reason not to want to be a part of the faith. With that being said, looking back on the Christendom news stories of 2015, here are five of the top controversial decisions and scandals and three ways that the church can combat them. 
when the board okay i want to of course this is from this is premier christian radio.com so they're going to make evangelical statements but i decided to have this article to be read to you because i'm trying to expose all the issues in church so we can build the church back better that is why I share my experiences in church and other people's experiences in the church. So both of us, meaning people with church backgrounds who want the church to be healthy and stay that way, and people who are not members of the church, who want the church to be what it's supposed to be, healthy and stay that way, that's so we both of us can team up and say, how can we help build the church back better? Okay, one, the Board of World Changers Church International approves Creflo Dollar's request to purchase a $65 million jet for ministry. Creflo Dollar, well-known prosperity preacher based in Atlanta, made a request in a six-minute video back in March to 200000 member congregation is so $300 towards the purchase of $65 million Gulfstream G650 after an incident involving his previous jet, which led to it permanently being grounded. That was CNN uh, May 16th, no, May 13th, 2015. March 13th, 2015. Okay. Wow. 200,000-member 200, 200, congregation is so $300. Wow. Two, world's first, lesbian, world's first lesbian bishop calls for church to remove crosses and incorporate Muslim prayer space. Back in September, Eva Brune, the world's first openly lesbian bishop, called for a church in her diocese to remove all Christian symbols, including crucifixes, instead display markers indicating which way to pray towards Mecca for the benefit of Muslim worshipers. Her justification was to allow Muslim sailors um, visiting a church located in Stockholm's eastern dockyard, dockyards to be able to pray so that we don't come across as being stingy towards people of other faiths. Breitbart, May 10th, 2015. Three, the rise of Christian-themed reality TV shows and how it portrays our faith. Inspired by the popularity of secular reality shows such as Keeping Up with the Kardashians, after the, after the debut of Preachers of L.A., P.O.L.A., back in 2013, Christian-themed reality television programming has been on the rise. However, while P.O.L.A. drew some criticism from the Christian community, the Lifetime reality show Preach, which followed the lives of four unconventional Christian prophetesses, was canceled after only a month when the network received over 15,000 signatures for it to be taken off air because of the diva-like behavior from the stars of the show, Change.org. The network received over 15,000 signatures for it to be taken off air. Four, Archbishop of Canterbury commissions an independent review into the handling of sex offense allegations made against a bishop 20 years ago. Sex abuse scandals involving young males within faith-based organizations, something more commonly associated with the Catholic Church. However, in October last year, Peter Ball, the former bishop of losing Gloucester, respectively, was arrested for a string of offenses against teenagers and young men in the church. Remember, sex abuse scandals are not only in the Catholic Church, they're in the Evangelical Church, the Protestant Church, all denominations of all religions and faith spiritualities, and they're in all religions, all faith spiritualities, and sex abuse scandals happen in the secular world, too, where there's no religion. Not picking on the Catholic Church. Okay. 
the Archbishop of the Archbishop uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury launched an independent review into the abuse by Ball after claims of a cover-up with one of the victims accusing the senior clergy at the time of being more concerned with the church's reputation than the victims. BBC News, uh, December 16th, 2015. Five, the rise of LGBTQI plus Christians. Since the creation of civil partnerships and the legalizing of gay marriage in the UK and US, um, I don't like how they say it, so I'm not going to say it. I'll just say that LGBT rights and the LGBTQI, LGBTQI plus rights and LGBTQI plus community has been an important influence for the church. In early 2015, it emerged that an engaged gay couple at the NYC branch of Hillsong has been, had been leading the choir Daily Mail, you know, June 8th, 2015. And although the church branch claimed to have no knowledge of their sexual orientation. A couple claimed to have been open about their relationship from the very beginning. The Christian Post, October 8th, 2015. So, you know, controversies and scandals within the church are increasing, are increasing, and um, I'm not bashing anybody. And I'd say controversies and scandals because you have people on people on diverse sides of each topic of each subject and that's why it's a controversy scandals are abusive behavior okay so Basically, in this, you know, prayer and fasting can help some people. Studying the scriptures lovingly, thoroughly. Um, being vocal, like speaking truth and love. You know, some of the stuff I didn't read because it came off very um, harsh. And I, and I don't want to have a judgmental thing to it. So that's why... I put the rest in my own words to be respectful. That was PremierChristianRadio.com. Okay. So, February 27, 2020. This is ChuckLawless.com. 10 controversial issues we've seen in churches. Over the past few years, I've kept a record of things that have caused controversy in churches with whom I've been acquainted. Perhaps these things won't surprise you, but here are 10 of them. I'd love to hear your thoughts about any of them. One, pastoral access to giving records of members. Some folks believe that pastors should have no such access, but others argue that the pastor must in order to shepherd the flock toward obedience. More and more churches are taking a second position. Two, term limits on volunteer positions. Many churches have a rotation system for some positions, deacons, trustees, but not for the majority of workers. Imagine the questions when church proposed that all volunteers take scheduled time off to renew their hearts. Three, auditions for for choir members and soloists. This practice that is typical of larger churches is apparently influencing smaller churches as well. Frankly, I wish we had auditioned some of the singers in the first church I pastored. 
Four, doing away with come forward altar calls. I've written about different types of in- invitations we're seeing, but the struggle in this case related to tradition. The church had always done it that way and dropping the invitation felt wrong. Five, administrative assistants were also church members. When the pastor decided to go outside the church for an administrative assistant, members didn't understand the reasoning of the pastor. Um, Arguments for and against this position are numerous, and I encourage you to check them out. Six, church discipline of long-term church member. Most churches have not done church discipline in many years. Okay, I'm sorry, I got distracted. Let me focus. Six, church discipline of a long-term church member. Most churches have not done church discipline in many years, and many who haven't didn't do it well. In this case, both issues were in play. This case was the first one the church had faced in years, and they didn't handle it well. Seven, family members of the pastor on the church staff, two of them, in fact. This arrangement led to all kinds of problems. Eight, not reporting individual staff salaries in the church budget. The church had been accustomed to knowing every salary. When the new pastor changed the process, some members felt that the pastor was hiding something. Nine, allowing non-believers and non-church members to serve in the church's ministries. Granted, the church doesn't allow them to serve in teaching positions, but they do give them other opportunities so they might get connected. Some members, however, stood against this practice. Ten, inviting children of a different race into the children's program. I'm afraid that ungodly prejudice still exists in some churches. What are your thoughts on any of these issues? Here are eight of the most controversial issues in the church today. Veronica Neffinger, June 7, 2018, crosswalk.com. What is the Christian view on gay marriage? Are spiritual gifts biblical? Can Christians drink alcohol? These are some of the topics that often cause heated controversy within the church today. Christians take very different opinions on these issues, and both sides refer to scriptures to support their views. Discernment is certainly necessary, even among a group of believers in today's culture. Whatever your views on each of these topics, hopefully reading this list of the areas where the church often experiences division will encourage us as Christ followers to strive for unity within our own churches and even across denominations. Because although there is much division and controversy among the broader church, there are also core doctrines that unite us. One, gay marriage. Gay marriage and whether it should be allowed in the church is certainly at the top of the list of modern day controversial subjects. One need not search current headlines for long to find evidence of this controversy. This issue has caused division among many denominations. The Presbyterian Church USA supports it, while the Presbyterian Church in America, PCA, and others do not support it, for example. But perhaps nowhere is the controversy surrounding this surrounding I'm sorry. But perhaps nowhere is the controversy surrounding this issue more prevalent than in the Anglican Church. In recent years and even months, the Anglican Church has softened its stance toward gay marriage and gay priests, but there's still much opposition. Some have called on the church to be more welcoming of LGBTQ plus individuals. Some go so far as supporting gay clergy and granting them the rights to perform same-sex marriages, while others remain firmly committed to the traditional definition of marriage. The United Methodist Church is experiencing controversy over this issue. You can read more about it here. Two, abortion. 
At first, one might think this subject is not so controversial within the church as it is between those in the church and those without. However, as a recent Pew Research Center study shows, those who claim to be religious yet don't associate themselves with a particular denomination actually are mostly in favor of abortion, with only 17% opposing it. Still, a majority of Christians are pro-life, but the subject remains a controversial one within the church, especially when it comes to the argument that pro-life should mean more than simply pro-birth. 3. Women in Leadership The issue of women teaching slash preaching in church can quickly become heated. Again, more conservative Again, more conservative denominations tend to be against women in leadership roles, while more liberal denominations tend to accept it. Recently, there has been a particular crisis on this issue with the rise of Christian women bloggers. The online presence and followers these women have is substantial and has caused some within Christianity to question their authority, even though they are not preaching slash teaching in a traditional church setting. Four, type of worship music. Contemporary or traditional, hymns or modern worship songs, this is definitely an issue that tends to spark debate within many churches. It's often even a deciding factor when someone chooses a church to belong to. This issue also tends to divide believers between older and younger generations. Even certain instruments can be controversial. A drum set might not be considered acceptable in some churches, while another church may have an entire praise band with with a full range of instruments. Some churches have attempted to resolve the controversy by using both traditional and contemporary songs intermixed during their worship services or even providing two different services, one more traditional and one more modern. 5. Spiritual Gifts Although spiritual gifts are mentioned several times in the New Testament, different church denominations have different interpretations of what it truly means to have and use a spiritual gift. The spiritual gift of speaking in tongues tends to be the most controversial of any spiritual gift. While Pentecostals fairly affirm this spiritual gift, other denominations have gone so far as to say that speaking in tongues is offending the Holy Spirit. Other Christians embrace spiritual gifts and even encourage congregants or church staffers to take spiritual gift tests to see where they are best equipped to serve. 6. Baptism Although practically all churches practice baptism, baptism rituals in different denominations not only vary in practice but in theology. There's been a heated debate within the church for centuries on whether the Bible promotes infant or only believer baptism. More liturgical churches even tend to give the impression that baptism is essential for salvation, while others don't seem to put a lot of weight on it. Some churches also baptize infants, but see it as not as evidence of salvation, but rather as a commitment by, as a, but rather as a commitment by the child's family and church body to bring up the child in the fear of the Lord. In this way, an infant baptism is more like a dedication of the child. Still, other churches only baptize those who are old enough to make a profession of faith of their own free will. Christians also have opinions on how and where baptism should take place by sprinkling of water, by pouring water on someone, or by full immersion. 7. Politics from the pulpit. Should ministers talk about politics or endorse a specific pl- Should ministers talk about politics or endorse a specific political party or view from the pulpit? Churchgoers have very different views on the subject, but the controversy isn't confined to the church. Several months ago, Donald Trump signed an executive order ceasing enforcement of the Johnson Amendment, which prohibited a church as a nonprofit entity from endorsing and promoting a particular political party or candidate. Many championed the executive order 
saying that it gave saying that it gave churches more religious freedom, but others maintain that siding with a certain political party is not something a church should be doing. Lastly, a alcohol. Can Christians drink alcohol? This question opens up all kinds of debate within the church. Many churchgoers believe Christians should completely I'm sorry, my tongue. Ugh. A alcohol. Can Christians drink alcohol? This question opens up all kinds of debate within the church. Many churchgoers believe Christians should completely stay away from alcohol, nightclubs, the nightlife, bars, pubs, and anything that has to do with drinking since the Bible condemns drunkenness and instructs Christ's followers to be sober-minded. Other churchgoers, however, believe that consuming alcohol in moderation is not a sin. These Christians often argue their point from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, in which the Apostle Paul says to be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Many take this to mean by the context surrounding it that drinking alcohol is permitted, but Christians should be careful not to cause someone who is prone to alcohol abuse or someone who believes it is a sin to stumble in their faith by seeing another Christian drinking. A church's views on alcohol can even be seen sometimes in the worship service. Some churches use grape juice for communion, while others use wine. All right. Seven of the most dangerous church cultures. Ron Edmondson, Thoughts on Leadership, Church, and Culture. I was talking with a couple of pastors recently about leading in church revitalization and growth. Both of these pastors are seasoned church leaders, having far more experience in total than I have in vocational ministry. Mostly I listen to their stories. Both are currently in difficult pastorates. One of them serves in a church that has a history of very short-term pastorates. The other is in a church that has seen a roller coaster trend in church attendance. Every time they get in a season of growth, it's followed by a season of decline, sometimes rapid decline. Frankly, I prefer to have conversations about opportunities and possibilities than about challenges about challenges and challenges and frustrations. But get a few pastors in the room, there will be some more stories. Leading towards health in a church can be, leading towards health in a church can be a battle sometimes. Just like it's been said numerous times, leading people is easy if it wasn't for the people. I tried to encourage them in their call and offered a few suggestions for them in their current situation. But the conversation stayed on my mind for days afterwards. A few days after this conversation, I was talking with another pastor friend reflecting on what I had heard in the previous conversation. I didn't share names or specific situations, but it led us to a discussion about church cultures. Every church has its own culture. Both of the pastors in the original conversation just seemed to find themselves in some very bad church cultures. I've seen lots of different cultures while consulting and working with churches for over a decade. Regardless of what some believe, there are some healthy churches. And there are some who are not so healthy. It always breaks my heart to encounter a church that is ready to implode. Frankly, some churches live in that tension continually. Some cultures are dangerous, toxic even. Why do some churches seem to have such a hard time keeping church staff for any significant length of time? Usually it has something to do with the culture of the church. Why are some churches more resistant to change than others. It will almost always reflect back to the culture of the church. Why do some churches have a history of church splits? Culture. This friend in the second conversation said to me, there's a blog post for you. You need to talk about some of those dangerous cultures. 
Sadly, according to numerous statistics, more churches are in decline or have plateaued than are growing. Certainly not all growing churches are healthy. I would define a healthy church exclusively. I would never define a healthy church exclusively as growing church, I do believe. However, most healthy churches will eventually grow. Some of that health in a church depends on the culture of the church. How do people respond to church leadership? How do they respond to each other? How do they react to change? How are decisions made? What upsets people most? What is the atmosphere, the mood of the church during the week and on Sunday? How does the church treat vocational staff? All those are usually re- all of all of those are usually relative to and indicative of church culture. So I decided to post about some of the more dangerous church cultures I have observed. Most likely you'll have some of your own to share. These are repeats, but I got a new um, trait to share with you, so bear with me. Here we go. Selfish. Some churches are filled with people who just think they have to have it their way and they fold their hands and sometimes hold their money until they get it. Prideful. This is a culture that's proud of their heritage, which is a good thing, but is resting on their laurels. They refuse to realize it's no longer the good old days. Their pride in the past keeps them from embracing the future. They resist any ideas that are different from the way things have always been done. Rigid. A rigid culture would never kill something, even if it isn't working. These churches do tradition well. They don't do change well. Try to change and it'll be the death of you. Clickish. I've heard this from so many people who felt they just couldn't break into the already uh, established groups within the church and its culture. It takes years for people to feel included, find a place of service, or begin to lose the new person label. Bullying. Sometimes this is disguised and called church discipline, but in some of the stories I've heard, I would tend to call it legalistic. If it's a one-strike-you're-out culture, or people are made to feel they can't be real about their struggles for fear of retribution, the picture of grace that Christ died on the cross to provide is diminished. People are encouraged to put on masks to hide their struggles. Stingy. In this culture, there's a greater concern that the balance sheet looks attractive than meeting the needs that God brings their way. This church rarely walks by faith because that seems too irresponsible. Depraved. Now, that's the new one. See, I always share old with new so you can get something new out of the old and the new I just said. Depraved. This one may in some ways be a summary of the previous six because there is sin in all of these cultures. But I wanted to expose it on its own. If the Bible is left in the rack attached to the pew and no longer the foundation guide for the church, the culture will obviously suffer. Church culture can begin to decay whenever the focus is more on things like money, programs, buildings, ATMs, Bentleys, BMWs, Cadillacs, even worship style, as good as all of those can be, rather than on living our lives as children of God for the glory of God. Whatever distracts us from the very core of the church that could be churchianity, Pharisaism, slaveholding religion, tribal religion, transactional religion, um, situational Christianity, um, white Christianity, supremacist religion, fear-based religion, fear-mongering, and...
and um, a sense of colonial Christianity, definitely colonial Christianity and imperial Christianity, those kind of things. Our gospel mission and call, our gospel mission and calling, will injure our church culture. Those are from my observations. What dangerous cultures have you seen? I should mention again, especially to those outside the church, those who have experienced pain from these types of churches, those entering into the ministry and whom I may have raised caution. There are healthy churches. There are healthy church cultures. There are no perfect churches, but there are some who have staff with long tenures where change is manageable and where people truly live out the biblical model of church. And as someone who loves local church, the global church too, the national church, that's where I hope to lend help through this blog and the majority of posts that I share. In the future posts, I will try to expand on some thoughts and experiences I have in helping to change church cultures. Ron Edmondson, Pastors Emmanuel Baptist Church. Find out more at www.ronedmondson.com slash about. Okay. So I'll just stop right there. No, yes, I will stop right there. And so I'll, my last part will be part three, and that'll be it for the Toxic Church Culture series. So uh, thank you indeed.